0: Mercy and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Matthew. You may be seated. We begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this day for your word, your call to us to turn from our sin and to receive the great gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation. We pray this day, O Lord, that you would teach us to have our faith firmly set only in your Son, now, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. I, I was preparing this sermon and as I was getting ready for it I thought I'm going to start the sermon off today by talking about how much we don't want a preacher like John. We don't want a preacher to come along and tell us that we need to repent. Now repentance there's always this long conversation about what do we mean by repentance but just as sort of a purely definitional level repentance means to change your mind or to sort of change your course of direction to turn from going one way and turn another way. And so we don't want a guy like John, a preacher, to come along and tell us that we need to change. We like the way we are. We don't like being judged. We don't like being told to change. We don't want to turn or repent. But then I started to think about it, and I realized that's not true at all. We want someone to come and tell us to repent. We are a people who actually love to be judged we love to be analyzed you know why because we love ourselves and we love it when somebody comes along to praise us about all the good things we're doing and then to tell us if something's wrong how it is we might be able to improve that that we're going to be able to fix ourselves and to fix our situation and so what we have right now and it's like a full-on cottage industry is a self-improvement industry books and diagnostic tools that you can read and study and work through that define who you are and take those definitions of who you are and show you then how you can improve, how you can quote-unquote self-optimize. When I was in seminary, this is odd, I did this in seminary, I had to take these sort of tests that would help define me to figure out how I was going to operate uh, in public. Uh, This test I had to take was called the Myers-Briggs Personality Inventory. Has anybody ever had to take the Myers-Briggs personality? Okay, all right, so Myers-Briggs is great. What it does is it asks you like hundreds of questions that kind of define who you are, and then they ascribe to you a bunch of letters uh, sort of defining you. I was, I think, an INFJ. You know what that means? I don't. I think it meant I'm like an introverted, uh, neurotic, um... (laughs) Um friendless jerk or something. I don't remember actually what it all uh, meant there, but, but it was supposed to tell me the sort of way I was going to operate around other people, and then, because I was an introvert, it could justify the fact that I was a jerk. It was great, so it was really, really helpful. Uh, now we have a new one. Uh, it's called the Enneagram, and I don't know if you've done the Enneagram, uh, but what the Enneagram does is a very similar thing, uh, but it ascribes a number to you, and instead of four letters, you get a number. Now, I don't know what this thing is, and someone the other day asked me what my number was and i was like that is a very insulting question because for the first time in my adult life i'm pushing 190 and i'm not very comfortable sharing that with everyone except in a sermon um but they they said oh you answered that way because you're a seven which means you're going to get along with a three which made me very angry that i was even having a conversation at all Uh, But what you do with these, it's all kind of innocent fun, and it helps define you and helps you figure out the way you operate around other people. And that's all well and good until these things kind of start to take control. And we start to sort of locate our identity in them. What's more, not only do we locate our identity in them, in a society that is growing, shall we say, more and more atheistic, and I don't mean by that just a bunch of angry atheists running around, but we're a society that operates in a way... Uh, that views God as less and less significant for our lives. This whole sort of self-analysis begins to replace what we might call in the church repentance and the forgiveness of sins. We've replaced repentance and forgiveness with diagnosis and prescription, analysis and self-improvement plan. And if you can define yourself and figure out sort of what your personality type is, Then the world can customize that self-optimization plan just for you and your Enneagram number. Repent? Absolutely. If by repent you mean I need to change, set a resolution or a goal and strive for it, and it's something I can achieve. If by repent you mean to make my life better, I'm all in. If judgment means improvement, if information leads to action, then sign me up. Now, I don't need a preacher like John the Baptist for this. What I need is a coach. What I need is a diagnostic tool, a guide, a guru, someone who can help judge me into improvement. Judgment into improvement. A phrase we might use for this is something like righteousness according to the law. Now, you might disagree that judgment can lead to improvement, and yet we see it everywhere. This is why we have a naughty and nice list this time of year and some condescending little elf sitting on our shelves to show us that, you know, judgment can create improvement, at least in our kids' behavior. We believe that judgment will lead to behavioral change that will make us righteous, that will make us into better people, a righteousness according to the law. What gets really problematic is when this sort of thinking starts to creep into the church and the church begins to preach what we might call a gospel of self-improvement or a gospel of self-realization. Many times people will come to church, and they'll come to church, and we're always glad for whatever reason people come to church because we hope they're going to hear the gospel, but there are times when we come to church because we view the church or religion or faith or something like this as one more part of me becoming a better version of myself. The church will be a part of my self-optimization plan. I need to work on my physical health, and I certainly need to work on my spiritual health. So we come to the church, and the church says, We're here to help you so long as you know you sign up and, and tithe and all of this. And what we'll do is we'll prescribe to you three Bible verses and a devotional regiment plan, and that's going to help you become the ideal person that you want to be. The church is here to help make everything better. To help you realize the truth of who you are. We're going to help you repent. Change your mind. We'll show you the the wrong path you were going. We'll make sure that you repent and that you're sincere, really sincere, truly, deeply, actually sincere for your sins. And then once you get there, we'll give you Jesus. But we're not going to give you Jesus so much as the one to save you. We're going to give you Jesus as the one to improve you. To uh, guide you. To help you. To be your rabbi, your guru. And in all of this, what we start to find is that the focus is in the wrong place. In all of this conversation, we have to ask ourselves, who are we focused on? Where is the finger pointing? Are we pointing towards Christ in faith and towards the neighbor in love? Or are we pointing at ourselves for improvement. Where is the finger pointing? It's always pointing back at us. The focus is on me and making myself better. Now what's surprising is that we find out this stuff never works. Uh, we are living in a society that is addicted to this self-optimization stuff and is more depressed and uh, full of anxiety than ever. It doesn't work because we're always trying to find righteousness in ourselves. We're trying to achieve uh, the ideal life according to our works. And it only leaves us more hopelessly and helplessly judged. But what do you do with that? Buy another book. Focus in more on yourself. Fix yourself. It's all about me. And it is that very self-serving message that John the Baptist comes to attack today. And now we get to the point where we realize we have John as a preacher, and this is not a preacher that we want. Because when God's preachers, when his prophets get his word in their hands. When they get the word of law and they get the word of judgment in their hands, their goal with that law is not our self-improvement projects. God's law gets a hold of us and it attacks us. His call for us in repentance is not merely to change our minds, but it is a call not to improve ourselves, but to die to ourselves. The law of God comes and finds sinners and puts them to death. And notice then that the language of repentance is so different in the world than it is in the church. In the world, repentance is there's something wrong with you. You're not the best version of yourself. You need to change, and we're here to help. Scriptures speak this way. There's something wrong with you. It's called sin, and it's rebellion against God. And the only thing that can stop a sinner is death and that is not the message we want to hear and yet it's the message that john preaches i mean let's let's just think a little bit today about how john was preaching this message we read that john was out in the wilderness preaching the message of repentance and that people from all over the place were going to john many were were hearing his message they were receiving his baptism and, and people were coming to know more about the message that john was preaching But one day, uh, a couple of folks show up, uh, two groups of people show up, Pharisees and Sadducees, two different religious schools of thought in Judaism at the time, but both at their core taught that uh, it was through the law, that is through God's threats and punishments, through uh, God's promises of reward, that they could improve society. They believed that they could judge people into improvement, judge people into being better people, more holy people, more righteous people. The Pharisees and the Sadducees believed they could judge the people into being more righteous, you know, like them. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these were the righteous ones. They were the ones who had all of their theology figured out. They had all their doctrine right. They all went to the right seminary, St. Louis, Concordia there, not Fort Wayne. They went to the right places. They had all the right information. They had all the right books and all the right blogs and all the right podcasts to prove it. They were not the problem for them or for anyone else. They were your religious life coaches par excellence. And they came out to see this John and frankly probably to cast judgment on him. And John, with the word of God in his hand, unloads on them. This is one of those great texts you read on a Sunday morning and you're like, this is the gospel of the Lord. I'm not so sure there's a lot of gospel in this word from the Lord. You brood of vipers. Helps you sleep well at night, right? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Let's stop there. That verse does not mean bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Improve your situation. Pick up better habits. Change your course of action. It means... Flee from the wrath that is coming for you. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It isn't exactly four steps in preparation for judgment day. It's more judgment is coming and you are dead where you stand why because you come out here John says as the best version of yourselves boasting that you are children of Abraham that you follow all the laws of Moses better than everything else and you sit down John says and you put yourself in the judgment seat and you judge yourselves to be righteous and that's the problem God never called you to judge yourself there's only one judge And it's the God of all creation. It's his judgment that matters, not yours. And yet you, you Pharisees and Sadducees, have come and kicked him off his throne and taken up the judgment for yourself. You've put yourself in the place of God. And for this, you need to repent. You need to die to this and be changed into something else. For you are running headlong into death with your pride and your self-righteousness. See, when John points the finger of judgment, his goal is not self-improvement. His goal is not yourself at all. It is to cause you to despair of yourself. You must understand that's not the only place John points, and it's not the only thing he has to say. John will not stop there merely with accusation. For John has been sent to preach another word, a better word than the word of accusation. For he's come, as Matthew tells us, to preach and administer a baptism of repentance. And you see, in Scripture, repentance, again, it's not merely about turning away from one course of action to another. It's about dying to one thing and being raised to something else. It's about being turned away from sin and judgment and death to Christ Jesus who comes with the forgiveness of sins. Mark, in his gospel, when he's writing about John's ministry, goes so far to say this about John. He says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins." John says, I'm preaching this law. I'm using this finger to point out your sins so that I can show you what needs to die. But now, says John, I'm pointing you to something greater. I'm pointing you to someone who will forgive you. I'm pointing you to Jesus. After pointing out your sin and all that is beyond your ability to repair or improve, John takes what Martin Luther calls that blessed finger and points it to Jesus. He takes you outside of yourself, away from yourself, who yourself who was condemned in sin and hopeless in yourself. And he gives you to Jesus. Jesus who gives hope to the hopeless. Jesus who raises the dead. Jesus who justifies the ungodly. Jesus comes, uh, who comes and forgives you all of your sin. See, the only hope you have in this world is not turning away from bad habits to good habits for righteousness. The only hope you have in this world is not even you turning away from yourself to Christ. The only hope you have in this world is Jesus turning to you. Jesus, we might say, changing His course, turning away from His glory and running towards sinners, turning away from uh, from the comforts of heaven, as it were, and running headlong into the cross where he comes to die and pay for all of your sins. It is fascinating to me that when you read the account of John the Baptist, once John has finished preaching and sort of laying everybody dead in their sins, the very next account, which we didn't read this morning, is Jesus showing up on the scene. And Jesus shows up, and where does he go? He goes straight to the waters of baptism. He goes straight to the waters of repentance, which is odd, because Jesus did not need to repent of his sin but we do see him there, turning towards sinners, identifying with sinners, and turning towards the judgment that God has for sinners. There in the waters of baptism, Jesus has given the Holy Spirit so that he can go to the cross and be baptized with the fire of God's wrath and take the punishment that all of your sins deserve, and mine too. You might go so far as to say it this way. That Jesus takes God's wrath towards sin upon himself so that now God has turned. God has turned away from his wrath and his judgment and now looks towards you only as a merciful father full of love and kindness, forgiveness and grace, all on account of Jesus. And that's why we need a preacher like John who will come and take our righteousness away from us and replace it with Jesus. So I might as well get down to it this morning. You cannot judge yourselves. You cannot judge your own righteousness. The law will only leave you dead because you are sinners deserving punishment. Hear the good news today. Dead sinners are just the sort of people Jesus Christ can work with. Let me tell you, you are one Jesus has worked with. For he has baptized you. He has crucified you with him and raised you to a new life. He has forgiven you all of your sins and he calls you his own. So you can just stop judging yourself and let John's blessed finger turn you to Christ. For it is his judgment that counts. And the verdict is in for you. He has declared you righteous. Amen. We pray. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, that you have taken the judgment we deserve. That you have turned us from wrath to mercy, that now, Lord, we receive from you forgiveness, righteousness, and salvation. Help us, Lord Jesus, always to put our faith in you, trusting that you are our righteousness. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.